Welcome to Total Retail Talks, your podcast channel for retail knowledge. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Total Retail Talks. I'm Joe Keenan, the Editor-in-Chief of Total Retail, and I'm pleased to be joined on this episode by Eric Bjorling, who is the Director of Brand at Trek Bicycles. And we're going to talk about that brand's uh, recently announced plans for a manufacturer-led uh, bike trade-in and refurbish pro- refurbishment program, Red Barn Refresh. So thanks for joining me today, Eric. Thanks so much for having me. So let's jump right into the kind of the questions I have for you about this new exciting news from Trek Bicycles. Uh, this new bike trade-in and refurbishment program, which I noted is called Red Barn Refresh. Can you tell uh, our audience a little bit about this new program? Yeah, essentially what we're looking to do is um, Trek did a, a little bit of a study as to uh, what are the waste streams and what what uh, this was part of our um, uh, sustainability research. It was just from start to finish, taking a look at the entire life cycle of our products, um, where they're made, how they're made, how they're extracted, uh, you know, how the material is extracted from the earth, what's the shipping emissions, all the way down to you know what happens to the product when someone's done with it. And we took a look at it and found that we really had an opportunity to to come up with a solution. There really wasn't a great solution other than like maybe a secondary market. But what we also found was that there were a lot of bikes going into landfills way too early, um, you know, with, with, with usable frames, usable parts, um, plenty of more miles still left to be put on these things. And we just felt that we might be able to offer a solution um, to, to, to that problem for people. And so what we did is we took a look at, okay, what do we have? We, we have a really great retail penetration here, specifically in the North American market, which is where we're launching, um, this, this program, uh, and said, you know, if you could just take your bike down to your local bike shop and they could just take care of it for you, um, you know, and, and even better is if, if it's still in great working condition or if it's relatively new, if they, if we can give you, you know, some kind of incentive to, to bring that in but you're still done with it, we can actually take that and we can actually connect it with another person who who would love to have that uh, bike. So the bike stays on on the trails and on the on the roads a lot longer. It also gets to the people who who um, can use them. And then it, it stays out of uh, it stays out of the landfills. And it's actually a product that still continues to, to have some benefit for people. Yeah. So kind of the multi pronged benefits of the program that you talk about. So that actually uh, is good lead into what I wanted to follow up with in terms of why now in terms of the launch of this Red Barn Refresh program and, and kind of how does it fit into the overall sustainability initiatives uh, at Trek Bicycles? Good thing. So for us, it's about a couple of things. We want to do, um, we really need to do a much better job of drawing down our emissions. Um, we've got a plan for that. So we looked at it like where where can Trek make an impact? Um, you know, we're a leader within the cycling industry. The cycling industry for a very long time has gotten kind of a free pass on sustainability because we make bikes, right? We don't, we're not oil companies. We're not, we don't make cars. We don't make, um, you know, we don't make products that, that, that have a very sort of obvious and clear carbon, um, tax to them. Uh, but we still make things. We're still a manufacturer. We still have supply chains. We still have all of these things, um, that we do that still has some kind of environmental impact. So we took a look at it and said, "What? Where are the places we can make a massive difference? One is in is in emissions of the product um, that we create. So we've got, you know, we've got, uh, we're looking at materials. We're looking 
looking at suppliers. We're looking at a number of different things that we can do in that. The second thing that we were taking a look at is transportation emissions. Um, this is actually something I think Apple was talking about uh, last week when in, in their launch as well, is if we can ship primarily by ocean freight versus air freight, we can actually save a, a massive amount of our emissions. Um, so we look at transportation. We're looking into uh, packaging waste. Um, if you open up a bike box, there's a lot. Uh, of plastics. There's a lot of single-use plastic, which is even worse. Uh, you know, it's plastic designed to be used one time and then thrown away. Um, we're on a path right now to eliminate all single-use plastics right now from our from our packaging. Um, we're we're on a really good path with that. So, uh, packaging waste was another one, and then it was really sort of end of life. Like, how could we actually extend the usable life of a bike through through a lot of our emissions research? We found out actually, and this is the benefit of being a bike company, we do actually make a product that could technically be made carbon neutral through it, the usage of it. So what we took a look at and we said, we can actually help people get to a place where they can make their bike carbon neutral. And we did the research and said, on average, you would have to replace 430 miles of emissions-based travel with your bike to make it carbon neutral. And we know that there's a lot of bikes that get thrown away that haven't really reached that 430 mile marker yet. And it really is very specific in that you really do have to replace a car or a bus or or some other carbon emitting transportation. And we found there's a lot of bikes that probably haven't reached that threshold yet. And so if we can actually take more of our products, keep them in in the usable, uh, their usable life a lot longer, we could actually make allow more of our bikes carbon neutral through the uh, through the usage and just through some extended use and extended lifespan. Any thoughts, and, and maybe you guys have studied this and collected research on why bike consumers aren't using them to their full life cycle? You, to your point, they're getting rid of them sooner maybe than it's got a lot of miles left on the on the bike. Any thoughts on why that's the case? You know, I think for a lot of people, you know, bikes are kind of a very um, people's relationship with bikes is, is is unique and different and oftentimes really personal. You know, you have people that are dedicated cyclists and that's who they are. It's part of their identity. It's what they do. It's um, it, it's massively important to them. Then you have a, you know another subset of people, um, probably a greater percentage of the population, really, who bikes are a little bit more of a commodity. Right. They're a little bit more of like something to do on the weekend. It's a leisurely activity. It's something you do. Um, with your family. But what we what we also know is that there's a lot of bikes that just kind of hang in the rafters of garages or they just kind of sit, you know, um, uh, lean up against a wall um, for a while. And it's kind of easy for a lot of people to just kind of kind of look past these things. And then they're looking for space. They're moving they're, um, You know, the, the kids are going to college. So something's going on in their life that just kind of triggers the fact that either like I haven't ridden this thing for a while and maybe do I don't need it uh, or it's I want to get a new one and I don't necessarily know what to do with this one and I don't want to have to deal with um you know I don't want to have to deal with the secondary market I don't want to do Craigslist I don't want to deal with Facebook marketplace or some other place that you see a lot of bikes being sold and so we're just a really easy solution for people I mean um you can take when you can take it down to your local bike shop and they'll just either write you a credit for it or take it off your hands um, that's, that's a pretty easy and, and, and pretty, um, um, pretty convenient service. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, makes to your point, it's easy and convenient for the consumer. And of course they're going to love that. Uh, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, uh, I mentioned the name of the program, Red Barn Refresh. Tell us a little bit about the significance of that name. Sure thing. So Red Barn Refresh is really goes back to Trek's origins. So we're sort of, um, Kind of a Midwestern American success story um, when you take a look at Trek. Uh, founded in 1976, 
in a little red barn in Waterloo, Wisconsin. And when I say red barn, I literally mean a red barn. Um, you know, Waterloo is where we are, still our home today, um, 48 years later. Um, and it's it's uh, the exact same building that we were founded has still remained within uh, within the Trek family for since, since we left. We left that building in like 1980. So it's still been sitting in Waterloo. We've been using it. It's been used for storage. It's been used for, you know, light manufacturing over the years here and there. Um, but for a while, it was really kind of sitting there doing nothing. And when we were talking about founding this program, well, we have the barn available to us. We need some place to intake these bikes. We need some place to um, house the people that are going to refurbish the bikes. We need some place to, that kind of is the center personality of this program. And we felt like if this is a closed loop solution, what better place than to start at the place where we actually started, uh, the Red Barn? So we've actually... Uh, retrofitted the original manufacturing headquarters, uh, global headquarters of Trek Bicycle to actually be the center of this new program for us. And so when we say Red Barn Refresh, you are actually sending bikes right back to the original Red Barn and we're taking them back to that point of origin, refreshing them and putting them back out in the world. So logistically it works, but honestly, maybe even better symbolically, it just makes, it just made a lot of sense from us. Um, we found, I think we also, I think we found the story kind of romantic and we just, we just couldn't not do it. That's what I was going to say. Not only is it, you know, it is, it's kind of speaks, it's a nod to the history of the brand and, you know, kind of that connection you've had close to 50 years with consumers and bringing it back to kind of the place where the, the brand started is a, is a real way to kind of get that nostalgic feeling, right? Right. Absolutely. And then like, it's something that we're hoping to show people as well. Um, when, you know, if you ever came to Trek and you wanted to go see where we refresh the bikes and you wanted to go see the Red Barn and take it to we would like we'd love to make that that part of the experience here as well so tell us a little bit about the inspection process for bikes that are potentially going to be returned um how will that kind of uh process be and will all bikes be accepted will all track bicycles be accepted in in the refresh uh, return program yeah, absolutely. So bikes, you know, when when they come into the store, they get packaged up. They sent to they get sent to us. We really take every single bike and we um, uh, put it through about it's about 150 points of inspection, really front to back. And you're you're looking at everything from uh, tire wear. Uh, we'll almost almost every single tire gets replaced. Um, that's just that's that's a very easy one. But you're also looking at you know what what's going on with the wheels, what's going on with the cable house. I mean, just front to back. Um, every single bike gets washed, um, uh, deep, deep, deep scrub, deep, deep clean, um, you know, little things here and there that we know we can replace really, really easily, you know, chains, uh, tires, um, everything. And it's just kind of, it's, it's sort of stripped down. Everything's taken apart, built back together, um, with new parts and pieces. And it's really like most bikes actually don't need too much love. One of the great things actually ab about the cycling industry is that we do actually make a lot of these parts and pieces um, so that you can keep this bicycle on the road uh, a lot longer. So there's a lot of compatibility benefits that we're getting um, from these. Now, some bikes are, are certain bikes and some bikes are, are, are special case. You know, that when you get into like electric bikes, for instance, there's a little bit more uh, nuance to it. There's a little bit more the complexity to it. But for the most part, we really are actually able to run this on, on, on a pretty good scale. And, you know, at the beginning, we're going to start with Trek bikes specifically. Uh, but we we would love at some point, I think, to be able to take 
really any bike um, from somebody. We know that obviously that there's a lot of bikes that Trek did not make that that could benefit from this. And so while we'll start with just Trek brand, I think that the future is really uh, there, there's a big um, opportunity for us to be able to expand that to other brands as well. Is there a uniform inspection standards across? You mentioned all these, in, you know, participating local bike shops across the country. Uh, I would imagine there's been some communication and standards set across mm -hmm. the inspection process. Absolutely. Yep. So that was actually one of the things that we had really had to cover first is, okay, what is the intake process? Yeah. There's an intake process that, this, that happens at that point of retail. Then there's a, um, a quotation process. So like if you have a bike that's relatively new and you'd like a credit written for that bike, that's something we can do. We partner with Bicycle Blue Book, which is a, a, a company that does um, a lot of um, sort of resale valuation within the, uh, within the, uh, the industry. And so you have a nice third party there that can kind of verify these things that we work with. And so, you know, you're able to oftentimes get a credit if the bike's new enough for a new for that you can put it right back to a new bike. Um, if that's something that you want to do, a lot of people are going to just bring bikes back and they just are looking to gain some space and they, yeah. and they want um, they want they want a nice sort of closed loop solution. Others are going to say, actually, for me, I'm just going to turn this in because I want to get a credit on, on something new. And that's that's definitely something that's going to happen as well. Um, and then you've got you know, the, the process that we use for an intake and for a refresh. And then we also have a reboxing. We have a, this is going to ship direct to consumer. This is going to be something that people are going to buy online. The bike you see on the website is the bike you're going to receive. Um, so it goes through its photo process. It gets uploaded to the website. You, you buy this bike, it comes to you. There is also a build process for the customer as well. Um, we have, but we make this very, very simple. We have a um, a box that kind of walks you through the entire process. It folds open so it covers your carpet so you don't get anything on your floor. There's a uh, really, really simple video um, process, uh, build process that we make sure that uh, people have access to because we want to make this really fun, really easy, and really simple uh, for the end user. For those bikes that are returned, uh, specifically, where will those be made available to customers that may be interested in purchasing a kind of used bicycle a special section of the website calling out those bikes? Tell us a little bit about uh, how consumers can find these uh, kind of second use bikes, I'll, I'll sure. say. Yeah, absolutely. So you're going to find them on trekbikes.com within its a special section of the website that really is dedicated to Red Barn Refresh. Um, and I think it's, it's one, one thing that's going to be really interesting about this is we're going to continuously add product to this part of the website as things get sold, um, as things come in. You know, if, if you do follow cycling or this is something you're kind of interested in, I think it's going to be kind of a place that people kind of come back to because there's going to be a lot of curiosity around this. We've also got, you know, a lot of bikes that get ridden professionally by our professional athletes that we don't necessarily have a great solution for right now. You know, in the past, they would either be sold to employees or to the athlete themselves or, or to retailers. And, um, you know, but there's certain bikes that, you know, there's just a little bit of a less demand with those three people. But, you know, a consumer could feasibly go onto this website and buy somebody, buy a pro athlete's bike that was ridden in a professional race earlier that season. So there's a lot of different um, ways that product can be um, added to this part um, of, of, of Trek's business. And uh, I, I think, yeah, I think it's going to be kind of a dynamic side of, of the website and of the uh, trekbikes.com experience. And to your point earlier, it's that constant loop. So, the, you know, as more bikes are sold, but newer coming in. So it's kind of the refreshing of that supply. It's continuous. Absolutely. Um, 
So you called out earlier, Eric, that uh, the launch of this new uh, Red Barn Refresh program coincides with the release of Trek's um, second sustainability report. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to hear from you some of the highlights of that report. Absolutely. So the report for this one, this is our second go at this. And I think, you know, in the first report that we ever did was um, was really kind of in that pre-pandemic um, era. And it was our first blush and our first realization. Uh, we worked with a third party to measure all of our emissions. And I don't think we knew um, how big of an opportunity that we had and really like what our impact was. And it was actually a lot bigger than, than we had anticipated. And what we kind of found is like, there's there's different ways of measuring this and you're really with sustainability metrics you're really trying to cut through a lot of data and a lot of science and a lot of things that are kind of like complex uh concepts to understand and you're really just trying to get down to okay what is our impact where is the biggest impact and where where are the biggest chunks coming from and then you can kind of start to work your way back and go okay how is it that we're going to address these so many companies when you're taking a look at sustainability and they're in their reporting emissions are they're gonna there's about three scopes in emissions reporting. It's scope one and scope two, which are really direct uh, emissions. That's, you know, turning the lights on, um, employees commuting to the office, um, any gas or whatever that, that you know, your buildings use um, or anything that you're doing, you know, yourself. And that's honestly where a lot of companies end their reporting. Scope three emissions are really where the majority of, of a company's emissions are going to be located. And those are the emissions that somebody else creates on your behalf. So when we order a number of bikes to be made, or we, um, you know, we ship, ship things overseas, but it's another shipping company. Well, Trek technically, like those are Trek's emissions because they wouldn't, they wouldn't exist without us asking them to be made and to be done on our behalf. And so it's really like, and take a look at the scopes. Ninety six point three percent of our overall emissions are scope three emissions. So really, we know exactly where our um, opportunity lies. And it's really in that supply chain and really getting a lot of things figured out at the very, very um, beginning of, of, of our life cycle. Um, and that's really what we're we're focused on. Right? If you take a look at the lion's share of the projects and the audits and the other things that we're working on right now, it's very loaded at the very front because we know that's where the majority of, of our emissions are coming from. And, you know, so first report came out pre-pandemic, the pandemic was a really interesting time for bikes. We really went through something called a bike boom um, where, you know, lines of people outside the doors yeah. to, to buy bikes. I mean, people couldn't do much. So bikes were a really popular item. Um, and unfortunately, what that did is that caused a lot of the industry to, to build a lot more product to fill that need. And then, you know, you take a look at your emissions. And while we were aware of the number, well, they went up exponentially during the bike boom because we were making a lot more product. And so this report, when you take a look at report number two, that encapsulates all of the pandemic emissions and what the impact of that was. And it didn't necessarily change Trek's commitment to addressing these things, but what it did is it educated us a lot more on where the real opportunities are for us. So that's, you see a shift a little bit. If you've compared the first report to the second report, the second report is a lot more clear. And I think does a much, much better job of illustrating exactly what we're going to be working on. The first report was more like, this is a problem. Uh, we're part of that problem. Um, we need to figure this out. The second report is a lot more along the lines of still a problem, and here's our roadmap. Um, so I think I think that's when you take a look at the two reports. I think that's probably the biggest difference. And then I would imagine, so this is an ongoing commitment from the organization. Um, there's future reports to follow, I would assume, in terms of tracking progress, how we're uh, doing against the goals, but, you know, kind of what we're saying we're going to do, and here's how mm -hmm. we're following up on it. 
Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that's one of the biggest shifts that we've also noticed in the past couple of years is this is not a marketing problem. This is not a um, this is not just a supply chain you know issue. This is not a product department issue. This is really something that is going to take every single member of Trek to really rally behind and and have clear goals. And so we use a we use a um, a lot of like objectives and key results within the management structure at Trek which has done a lot of great things, but everybody on the team has now needs to have a sustainability objective for their team. And they're going to have reporting me mechanisms to that team because we really do want to make sure that we're holding ourselves accountable. And I think the reason we publish these numbers and the numbers don't make us look good. I mean, we, it is, it is, it's hard to look at sometimes. Um, but what we're doing there is I think it's just a way that we're able to hold ourselves accountable. And it's a way we're going to be able to hold our people accountable to the goals that we have set. And I would imagine that transparency to your customer, to your point, you know, this isn't, you're not whitewashing it. You're not trying to make yourselves look better than the numbers are. You're, you're saying, here's what the numbers are, but our commitment is to improve, which actually brings me into my final question, Eric, because I wanted to talk a little bit about the trike uh, bicycle customer yeah. and how um, their feedback, their influence um, factored in the decision to launch the Red Barn Refresh program. We hear so much that sustainability is becoming such more of an important purchase consideration for consumers. Tell us a little bit about what it means to the Trek bicycle customer and how that factors into uh, this new program. Good thing. You know, our customers are really wide and, and, and varied and, and their needs and their wants and and, and why their whys of why they ride are vastly different. I mean, you we have got everything from a, you know, you take a look at the product line specifically. We've got your first bike that, you know, is a couple hundred dollars and um, has training wheels all the way up to um, a $20,000 plus, you know, carbon fiber, handmade, hand-painted, hand-customized, you know, uh, road or mountain bike. And really a, a lot in between too. It's a really interesting and really dynamic brand to 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 manage because we have so, like our, our, our customer range is so diverse. But one thing that really does ring true is a lot, like almost all of them, um, are there for because a couple of things health joy are like two of the biggest things that you know um, whether it's just it's just fun it's just joy yeah and it's we're finding more and more people though are looking for sustainable ways to travel to to make changes in their life and it's like these little small changes we know that in the u.s about 40 percent of all car trips are under two miles we believe as a company that most of those trips are probably accomplishable by bikes but what Americans need um, specific, specifically this is and this is not just a North American problem, but you know we, we're starting where in our home, um, our, our home, is that they need safer places to ride. They need better infrastructure. This is a constant need that we have heard across. Whether you're on that that training wheel bike or you're on that twenty thousand dollar bike, you need safe cycling infrastructure if you're going to participate in cycling and you're going to make this part of your life. So we're focused on we we have a whole group of people that are just focused specifically to that as well. Um, but we know that, so even though our customer range is really diverse and it, it comes from a number of different places and, and wants and needs, um, giving them a space to do this um, is something that every single person seems to be able to get behind and seems to need. And so I think we're taking a look at, a, at a, an emerging customer base here that really does want to know, what is your commitment to the environment? How can I use your product? Or how does your product help me in my own journey? Because a lot of people are, are taking a look at their own footprints and saying, you know, I got, I got to make some changes here. And I think what we're trying to do is just be a conduit to that and give as much information and as much support as we can do 
while also just being honest about what it is. You know, we're not going to be a company that's going to come out and say we're going to be net zero. That's because that's technically like we just don't see a path to that. Um, we make things. We're a manufacturer. And even though our product can be made carbon neutral, those carbon neutral miles are not miles that Trek is doing. That's miles that, you know, um, that, that, that Mike is doing on, on his bike and Mary is doing on her bike. Um, those are emission savings that the customer can claim, which we feel is fantastic. But if we can actually provide them space to be able to do that, and we can actually provide them with the education that they need, and the products that they need to be able to live more sustainably, then we, I think we're feeling really good about where we're headed. Yeah, and you're cultivating that consumer base too, right? You're you're advocating for the things that matter for them to be able to take advantage of the products that you're bringing to market, right? So you're right. you're creating that avenue for them, and then um, you know offering product that can help them take advantage of some of the things that you're you're fighting for. That's that's exactly right, and I think you know we're we're finding more and more people are are um, excited to join this mission and excited to 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 head down that road with us, and um, I think this is something. When we look back 10 years from now, I think we're going to look at this and say, this was a time that it may have been a little bit hard to look at ourselves and have a tough conversation with ourselves in the mirror, but it might have been the most important thing that we were able to do. Yeah. And you're, and you're certainly pioneers when it comes to the cycling industry, um, taking this stuff. So I, uh, I want to give uh, a thank you to Eric Bjorling, who, again, is the director of brand at Trek Bicycles for joining us on this episode of Total Retail Talks and talking about that brand's industry-first manufacturer-led bike trade-in and refresh, uh, refurbishment program, Red Brand, uh, Red Barn, excuse me, Refresh. Thank you, Eric. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Thanks for listening. For more information on this podcast, please check out our podcast channel page at mytotalretail.com slash podcasts for show notes. Total Retail Talks is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Make sure to subscribe on our podcast channel page as well. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a few moments to rate and review this podcast. Thanks, and until next time, this has been Total Retail Talks.